We're going to start tonight in the book of Genesis, so turn to Genesis 12 if you would. Um, I spent quite a bit of time this morning uh, just looking through some things. It, I, I've been um, extremely excited about starting this study because of um, what David taught us in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which was kind of a, a jump start for us. Uh, one of the things I'm going to do is, I don't know that I'm going to spend a whole lot of time verse by verse by verse in Revelation when we finally get there, um, but it'll be, it'll be kind of more of an overview and a clumping together of, uh, of the teaching. Um, it's kind of becoming clear what that looks like, but um, um, there, there are several things I want to talk to you about uh, before we get into that. Uh, another thing is, let me just say a special thanks to um, Tony and David and Paul. Especially, I couldn't help but think um, when when we were away, uh, how many great compliments that uh, you guys got on your teaching. And uh, you know what? I wasn't intimidated at all, <laughs> which is a good thing because usually when a preacher goes, he finds the worst preacher he can find to fill in for him. So everybody's glad when he gets back. Uh, but I've been at this long enough that I'm just I just I love good teaching too, and I've, I've actually I was able to get on the podcast and hear it all. Uh, Paul, what a what a wonderful job you did last Wednesday night. Uh, thank you, and I, I couldn't help but think that uh, that may be a whole lot like the New Testament church was. They didn't have really, you know, I mean, it's just a people taught and discipled, and uh, we have um, the great blessing of having some wonderful teachers in our church, men and women both. And uh, you know what? We need to challenge our folks to um, take part in that and take advantage of that every opportunity that they get. And the good part about it is is we all have our different styles and different talents. And um, you just kind of see how God just kind of works together in his family, putting that together. Thank you, Tony, for filling in last Sunday. It's always good to have another preacher around that you can kind of turn that over to. Um, letting the cat out of the bag. Uh, Tony is now on staff part-time with us. And um, he, will be, um, he will be, here's what I call him, our, our ministry strategist. Uh, Tony's job is to focus on helping us grow. Helping us grow our ministries, helping us grow our church. He has been very successful everywhere that he's been, and we're just so excited uh, to have him. And uh, we'll be announcing it to the church, but I want you guys to know, as if most of you probably knew already. Uh, but because of that, there has been a little tale going around town that I'm quitting. I am not. Uh, I'm here for, you know, ever how long, so I'm not in a hurry to get away. I love the teaching part. Uh, I'm gonna let him handle. He's gonna he's gonna be the um, he's gonna be the strong arm of our bunch, and he will. Um, well, that's kind of a I shouldn't put it that way, but he's gonna he's gonna work with staff, and he's gonna work with our ministries and our teachers and and our folks, uh, especially in outreach and in discipleship and in growth. And I'm just really excited about that. So um, we'll be talking about that a little bit more later. Uh, I'm gonna I want to talk to you tonight about prophecy and covenants. Prophecy and covenants, okay? Now, what I want to do is, I, 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 I sat this morning at my table. I'm always able to do that when Lee's not there. 
because uh, there's not this. Can you come here and look at this? Uh, what do you think about this? Hey, can I ask you this question? Oh, I'm sorry to bother you, but... Um, and, and so it's, it's just always good to just, just to be able to sit. And, and we may get through a portion of this tonight. Hopefully we can get through all of it. I doubt it. Uh, but it's very, very important that we understand that... Um, uh, God's 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 book, God's uh, map, roadmap to um, you know His plan and His story, all fits together somehow. And in this matter of prophecy, it, it doesn't just happen in the book of Revelation. It begins in the book of Genesis. Uh, now it is it is what is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Okay, so there's not any new stuff. In, um, uh, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament that's not in the Old, it all kind of really connects and fits together. I want you to really be praying. I've been working on a series of messages because we're on the topic. Uh, Sunday morning, I'll begin a series in the book of Jude. And um, Jude basically just says, I want to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt it needful to write to you to earnestly contend for the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And um, couldn't help but think about some of the things I've run across the last few days. It's time for us as believers to quit being silent. Uh, if, we, if we hear something that's wrong, if we hear something that's taught wrong, um, we know the Word of God, step up and, 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 and defend it. And not that the Bible needs defending, but... Um, I just read a couple of posts on Facebook, and I couldn't help myself. You know, I thought, it's time to, it's time to say something here. This, this is flat wrong. And um, so, you know, it, it, this is kind of where we're at um, in our world that we live in. So let me just, I'm, I'm going to follow along here. Uh, if I may, we, we won't get to um, Genesis 12 right away, but, but, but just listen to this. Because there are several basic, basic issues in developing a consistent view of the end times. Uh, one of the key building blocks is understanding a biblical covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants. How one interprets the covenants determines the overall timing and understanding of the end time events and answers these questions. Number one, who owns the land of Israel? Uh, you know, there, there, there's a big fight. Do the Palestinians, do the Israelis, do this one, do that? Who is it? Uh, there are over 9 million people in the nation of Israel today, uh, all representing the three different major religions, uh, Catholicism, Christianity, which falls into that category somewhat, and, and that of Islam. Uh, and they're all there, and they all lay claim to it, and they all have their holy sites there, and they all have these places that you go, and this significant happened here, and this happened here, and this happened here. And so, um, who owns the land? Uh, here's another one. Is there a future for the Jewish people? Okay. Um, and what is that future? Now, when we talk about prophecy and covenants, let me just say this um, just very quickly, a covenant is an agreement between two parties, okay? It's, it's more than a contract. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's because in a covenant, each party enters into this 
covenant willingly uh, with responsibilities on both sides. There are basically two types of covenants. And, and we can go through, I mean, we could pull all of them out, but basically there's two kinds. There's what's known as a conditional covenant. A uh, good example of that is the covenant of marriage. Um, she says, I do. He says, I do. And he does it for the rest of his life. So, um, but, but that's kind of a, that's kind of a conditional covenant. Here, here we are, till death do us part. The, the problem with the conditional covenant is that um, because it is conditioned on two human beings or, or two different personalities, those covenants, for the most part, are usually broken. Uh, a conditional covenant uh, is not eternally binding, although it should be. Uh, lots of people don't look at it that way. They are broken regularly because the conditions of the covenant depend on both parties to fulfill the promises and the duties as stated in the covenant, okay? So there's conditional covenant. Then there's what's known as an unconditional covenant. You'll hear it a lot of times uh, as, as a unilateral covenant or an eternal covenant. Now, God only makes unconditional covenants. You say, well, well, God makes conditional covenants because He tells the people of Israel, if He does this... Then, and they do that, then there's what he will do. There are some conditional covenants, but the fact of the matter is, is that on God's side, God never breaks his promise. God holds up his end of the covenant. It's man that typically uh, uh, forfeits his side of it. Um, the duties and conditions of the covenant depend on God to keep the condition of the covenant. Let me give you an example of that. Salvation. Salvation is a covenant. Salvation is a covenant uh, that, that God has given to us, it is unconditional, just only on the condition that we believe. All the work has been done, all the sacrifices have been made, God in himself um, did everything to bring salvation. Now in the Bible, there are four um, con uh, unconditional unilateral covenants. Now, Keep this in mind. These covenants are eternal. It's important that you understand that the covenants that God makes, the covenant that God made with Abraham particularly, is an eternal covenant. That's important because you're going to get messed up when you get into the New Testament, into the end times, and you wonder how God's going to be dealing with Israel. Um, the promise that God made to Abraham, and we'll look at it, was in the form of a covenant. Now, it, they are eternal. The covenants with Abraham and his descendants, it established a permanent relationship with God and his people. Okay? So, so the, the unconditional, unilateral covenants, eternal covenants that we're talking about here are permanent. Okay? Now, they are, they are critical in understanding the end times because Israel will ultimately fulfill them in the millennial kingdom. Remember that. This... This covenant that God makes with Abraham will ultimately be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Okay? That's the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, there are four of these covenants. There is the Abrahamic covenant, which is the primary covenant here. And then there are four other covenants that 
they kind of attach themselves to it. They're kind of a leg uh, of this um, uh, of this unilateral this 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 covenant. There is there is a land covenant. Uh, there is the covenant with David. There is the the new covenant, uh, and so they all kind of attach themselves here to to these. Um, to, these, uh, to this covenant of Abraham. So let's look at the Abrahamic covenant for a minute. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Remember at this time, he's still called Abram. Okay, he's not Abraham yet, he's Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now here it is. Here's the promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse him that curses you. And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. Okay, now, if you would, just flip over to chapter 15, just a couple of pages. Chapter 15, and you will see um, the enactment of this covenant. Look beginning in verse... um, well, let me just show you this. I think this is interesting. Let's just let's look at chapter 15. Just start from the beginning, and then I'll jump over to verse 18. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Don't fear, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I am childless, and the heir of my house at Eleazar of Damascus? Abraham, Abram said, Since you have not given me children... My heir is a servant born in my house. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but a son that is from your own body will be your heir. This man's in his 90s, okay? He brought him outside and said to him, Look up toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So will your descendants be. Now now circle this word. Abraham believed God. See that word believed? It is the word amen okay so God said to Abram I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens and Abraham said amen that's a word of agreement okay so so at this point Abraham has believed God Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness and so um, God begins to Make this covenant with Abram. John Wofford said this. The covenant of God with Abraham furnishes the key to the entire Old Testament and reaches for its fulfillment in the New Testament. Dwight Pentecost says, see this covenant as laying the groundwork for the rest of Scripture. Okay? Now, now here's the groundwork, and he he basically uh, uh, names five things, okay, about this Abrahamic covenant. Number one... It has eternal aspects. It is forever. Okay? Number two, it guarantees Israel a permanent national existence. All right? It doesn't doesn't say in Israel. It just says he guarantees them a, a, a national, a permanent national existence. Number three, it gives Israel a perpetual title to the land of promise. Okay? I'm going to give you everywhere your foot steps. You put your foot on it, I'm going to give it to you, okay? And, and, we'll, and I'll show you where, the, where that is in a minute. Okay, number four, 
It promises the certainty of material and spiritual blessings through Christ to Abraham. Okay? And number five, it guarantees the Gentile nations will share in these blessings. So, so it, brings, it, it, brings, it brings all, all Israel and, and believers in Jesus Christ into this promise. Okay? Now look at the provision of the covenant. The promise is first made in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We read that already. It is formalized into a covenant in Genesis 15, 1 through 21. So let's look at that. I, you know, I, it's long. I know it's long, but hang with me, okay? We've already read through six verses. So let's look at verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. But Abram said, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, number two, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Okay? So we know that there's about to be a sacrifice of some kind, right? All right. So Abram brings all of these to him. He cuts them in two and lays each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. So, so he's got these three animals, okay? He cuts them right down the middle. He lays them like this, half on this side, half on this side. He goes to the next one, half on this side, half on this side. He goes to the next one, half on this side, half on that one. And then he takes the two birds, he puts one on this side, he puts one on that side. Now, the reason for that is because in the making of a covenant in the Old Testament, the parties would walk among those pieces, okay? And, and, and I read one time that one writer said that sometimes that they would walk in a figure eight. They'd walk in and out of them. And while they were doing that, they would state the, the purpose of the covenant and the conditions of that covenant, okay? So keep that in mind. So, Abram... Brings them to him, he cuts them in two, he lays the pieces opposite the other. He didn't cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Okay, so you got dead animals out there. You got these carrying birds coming, and Abraham's there, he runs them off. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Abram fell asleep. He's about to walk into covenant with God. And he goes to sleep. Okay? God put him to sleep. There's a reason for that. Now look at what he says. And terror and great darkness fell on him. Then he, talking about God, said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will live as strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Were they? Yes. Pretty exact, wasn't it? Now look at this. But I will judge the nation that they served. Did he judge Egypt? Yes, he did. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. The Bible says that when the children of Israel left Egypt, people ran out and gave them stuff. Uh, They were just handing stuff off to them. As for you, talking about Abraham, You will go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will return here for the iniquity 
of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay? So now the sun goes down. It's dark. The smoking fire pot with a flaming torch passes between the pieces. Now, Diane, I'm going to answer that question for you, okay? I know what you're thinking. So what is the, what is the fire pot and the flaming torch? Well, there's all kind of speculation as to what those are. But in a very general sense, it's probably this. The flaming, the, the, the smoking fire pot is representation of the, um, the, the life of God's people in their um, uh, distress and in their hard times, okay? The flaming torch with them would be a picture of God's presence in the midst of that. So what God is saying basically there, what Abraham sees is he sees these people who are in great distress. He's just said to them, listen, you're going to bondage for 400 years. Um, but there is an indication here that God said, but I'm going to be with you. Whatever that is, I'm going to be with you, okay? Makes more sense to me than anything I looked today. And I went for, I can't tell you how long looking for that. But, but, but it makes, makes pretty good sense. So when the sun goes down, it was dark. A smoking fire pot with a flaming torch passed between these pieces. We know it was God, okay? On that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now, now circle that word made because it's really the word cut, okay? God cut a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will give this land uh, from the river Egypt to the great Euphrates River to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the whatever everybody else is left on there, all the otherites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites, all, all the Shites. Um, now, now look, now we know, just, just to kind of bring you up to date, the nation of Israel today where Jews are beginning to relocate is not that whole area he, said, he, he talks about here. That's just one little sliver of it, one little part of it, okay? So they haven't possessed all of that yet. That's something that's future, okay? God says, I'm going to give you that land, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, all of them. So he, he formalizes the covenant in Genesis 15. He amplifies it in Genesis chapter 17. So flip there with me if you would and look at 17, 1 through 18. I know it's long. It is, but you got to get the picture. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between you and me, and we will, and, and will exceedingly multiply you. Abram, Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be called Abram, but your name will be called Abraham, father of many to father of a multitude. Now, I want you to see something here because Abram uh, is a little bit different than Abraham, and there's a little breath there in the Hebrew, ha, which basically you could say God breathed himself into Abram, and he became Abraham, okay? Y'all with me? By the way, Sarah became Sarah. 
All right? For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make, I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And for, there it is, underline, an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. All the land of Canaan, where you now live, as strangers I will give to you and to your descendants for, an, there it is, an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant with you, um, that, which you shall keep between me and you. What he does, uh, just, just to get past it, is he just, he just enacts circumcision. Circumcision then becomes a sign for Abraham and his descendants of the covenant. Okay? Now, that didn't make it uh, a conditional covenant at that point. The original covenant was made when, when God put Abram to sleep and walked between those pieces. Now, let me give you a, a little bit of clarification here. Because in Hebrews chapter three and verse chapter six and verse thirteen, here's what it says. Because God could swear by no one greater, he swore to himself. The covenant, ladies and gentlemen, of Abraham was not between God and Abraham, it was between God and himself. So the covenant is permanent, it is eternal, it is everlasting because it is a covenant that God made with himself. There are conditions as you begin to go through, but the fact of the matter is, is that God made this covenant with Abraham. You're going to be my people, you're going to be great, um, you're, going to bless the, you're going to bless the earth, you're going to have all this land. All this stuff, I've made that covenant with you. I have sworn by myself that that's going to happen. It was a universal covenant. It was a national covenant, which had basically two parts. The promise of descendants that would become a great nation. That's 12, 1 through 3. And then the promise of the land as a, as a permanent inheritance, chapter 12, verse 1. So in this, in this covenant... This, this, this part of this national covenant, here it is. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you're going to be a great nation, and the land is going to be yours as a permanent inheritance. The land includes, so here it is, so here they are. Modern day Israel, parts of Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq. So you just think about that area. David put those. David put those um, pictures up here a few weeks ago on those graphs. That's, that's, that's a pretty big area. Not just that little sliver that's called the navel of the, the earth, but, but all that surrounding area around it. We know that this must be future because this promise has never been completely fulfilled in history. Okay? Now, let's talk about the nature of the covenant just for a moment. We've talked about amillennialist. We've talked about postmillennialist. We've talked about premillennialist. I got that out three times real quick without getting tongue-tied. Most amillennialist and postmillennialist believe that this is a conditional covenant. Okay, so look, it, it matters what you believe too. They believe it's a conditional covenant. They argue that Israel failed to uphold their end of the covenant. 
And, so, and therefore, the covenant need not be literally fulfilled. Okay? Hang on to that thought. There are some amillennialists, people who say there, there, there is no millennial, uh, no, no, no thousand-year reign, um, which basically means that um, there won't be a thousand-year reign of Christ. Most people believe it's spiritual. There's a lot of amillennialists that believe it's even going on now that Christ is ruling from his throne in heaven. Uh, Postmillennialists believe that Christ won't return until after the millennium. Well, I don't know how he can rule and reign during the millennium if he comes afterwards. Um, but you know what? They, they've got their arguments. But most, most of these people believe that it is spiritual and not literal. Okay? They believe that because of Israel's failure, God has transferred the covenant from Israel to the church. Now, now there are a lot of people who are called dispensationalists that, that believe that. I, I do believe in dispensations. I believe that there were certain times that God did certain things throughout history. But I'm not one that believes that God just did away with Israel because Israel failed and just transferred all the blessings to the church. Okay? Uh, but there are people that believe that. Now, the nature of the covenant must be understood as unconditional for five basic reasons. Okay? Number one, it was a blood covenant. Okay? It, it, it bound the parties unconditionally to fulfill their pledges. Just Genesis, in Genesis 15, we saw that. Okay? A blood covenant. It's important. We understand that. You say, well, they're all blood covenants. No, they're not. Not all of them are. Uh, and the way this covenant was made, God was pledging, listen to this, His own blood. That, that, is the hair standing up on the back of your neck yet? God, in this covenant that God made, He was pledging His own blood to keep in His end of the bargain until the pledge was fulfilled. And it was fulfilled partially in Christ, but because of that, we know that it will be eternally fulfilled to the letter, literally, okay? Um, Abram, as he was at the time, was not a participant in the covenant. He was only a recipient in the original covenant, okay? Number two, the original promise was given to Abram without any conditions. The original was given to Abram without conditions. It is true that in chapter 17, God added circumcision as a sign to the original agreement, but later conditions cannot alter the original agreement. Okay? You can add some things to it as you go along, but it can't alter the original agreement of, of, of blessing him and making him the father of a great nation. Okay. Um, number three, Scripture repeatedly states that the covenant is eternal. Um, Y'all are going to hate me for just running through this, but I'm not going to read all this. Genesis 13, Genesis 17, 1 Chronicles 16, Psalm 105, Jeremiah 31. Over and over and over again, repeatedly states that the covenant is eternal. Number four, the New Testament affirms the unchangeable nature of the covenant. Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 
28 and Hebrews chapter 6. Okay? The New Testament affirms the unchangeable nature of the covenant. Number five, Israel's failure did not set aside God's covenant with Abram. Genesis 50, Exodus 2, Deuteronomy, 2 Kings, Micah, Malachi, Luke, Acts. There's a whole bunch of them today. My, my mind was going <laughs> short-circuiting. But I do, want to, I, I do want you to do this. Turn with me over to Jeremiah, if you would. Let me just show you one place. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Yeah, Jeremiah 31, sorry. Jeremiah 31. Look at verse 35. We'll look down through verse 37. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for the light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, if I go back on my promise, if I go back on my covenant, then the seed of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Can you measure the sky? No. Can you measure the depths? No. And until that happens, God says my covenant is secure. Okay? Ronald, Ronald DeProse said this, Israel's sin can no more thwart God's future purposes for the nation of Israel than can the heavens be measured and all the secrets of the earth be known. Now, that is the Abrahamic covenant. That is, that's the anchor, okay? That's the anchor in the Old Testament that the promises of the coming kingdom and the eternal state are guaranteed, okay? Now, there are basically three others, and let me give you these. They're unconditional. Um, see, I've been out two weeks, so y'all just going to have to sit there and take this in. The next three covenants are unconditional covenants. Um, and they highlight different aspects of the Abrahamic covenant, okay? So let me give you these. There's, there's three of them. Just write this down. Soil, seed, and salvation. Soil, seed, and salvation. So you have the land covenant, which is also known in some places as the Palestinian covenant. That doesn't mean that the, the land belongs to the Palestinians. It's the land of Palestine and um, um, so it is the, it's, 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 a, it's a soil covenant, the land covenant. The seed covenant, that's the covenant that God made with David. There will be one of your sons on your throne forever, okay? And then salvation, the new covenant. So, there, so those are basically three other um, unilateral Unconditional covenants. Let's, let's look at the land covenant just for a minute. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. I want to get through this, so, so just write those down. You, you can read them later. 
What Dwight Pentecost does is he summarizes the features of the land covenant in Deuteronomy 30. Here they are. Let me just give you these. There are seven of them. Number one, the nation will be plucked off the land for their unfaithfulness. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. Number two, there will be a future repentance of Israel. Same verses, Deuteronomy 31 through 3, okay? There will be a future repentance of Israel. Uh, I don't know if I wrote these down. I guess I did. Let me just, let me just tell you all this, and, and I'll get to it later if I have a chance to get to it. I think it's like 40, 45 or 46% of the people that are living in Israel today um, are secular Jews. That means they have no belief system whatsoever. There's going to come a time when they will repent. Number three, verses three through six, their Messiah will return. Okay? That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5, Israel will be restored to the land. And I'll, I'll show you some of that in a minute. Israel will be converted as a nation. Verses 4 through 8 in Romans also chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. Talk about that. Israel's enemies will be judged. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 7. And the nation will receive her full blessing. Um, none of that has happened yet. Okay? So all this is future. It's important to distinguish between, distinguish between Israel's ownership of the land and occupancy of the land, okay? There's a difference in occupying the land and owning the land, all right? Scripture is plain when asserting ownership. Genesis 13 and verse 15, all the land that you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. No doubt who it belongs to, okay? And if the people in Washington and the United Nations just read their Bibles, then that would end the debate, However, their occupation has been broken repeatedly throughout history because of their unfaithfulness and because of their disobedience, okay? That's the land covenant. Then you have the covenant that God made with David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and uh, verses 12 through 16. It contains three basic elements. It, it contains a, an element that deals with David's house. Uh, it refers to David's dynasty or David's royal family. To David's throne, which refers to David's authority or David's right to rule. And then to David's kingdom, it refers to David's realm, which is the earthly political kingdom of Israel. Okay? God promised David that someone from his dynasty would sit on his throne and rule over his kingdom forever. Now, now let me ask you something. Uh, You've got to think about this for a moment. Did David know anything about the church age? Did he know anything about the indwelling Holy Spirit? Did he know anything about salvation? Did he know anything about Christ coming and, and suffering? So when God spoke to David and said to David, somebody's going to sit on your throne, do you think David took that as something spiritual? No. God, God speaks, folks, to us in, in language and in ways that we understand and things that we know. So David, did David have a literal throne? Yes. Did David have a, liter, have a literal dynasty? Yes. Did David rule over the nation of Israel? Yes. Where? On earth. In person. And I believe with all my heart 
that when God spoke to David about that, David saw a coming day where there would be a literal descendant, one of his descendants, sitting on his literal throne and the literal earth. That's all he knew. So God promised David that someone from his dynasty would sit on his throne. All believers agree that Jesus fulfills that, don't we? This promise being David's greater son, Jesus being David's greater son. The only way that this covenant can be fulfilled is that there must be a literal person from David's line sitting on David's throne in Jerusalem, ruling over Israel. We're told that it will happen in the coming millennium and on into eternity. Ezekiel, Amos, Zephaniah, and Luke. The covenant does not require that the throne be occupied continually. In fact, it anticipates that there will be interruptions in the reigns of David's line. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14. The only necessary feature is that the lineage can't be lost. Okay? The li- so, 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 think about this for a moment. The lineage, that's what's important. The lineage can't be lost. Why do you think then that Matthew starts out with the genealogies of Jesus Christ? Because you know what? During, during the year 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, a lot of the records were destroyed with it. And the, and, and the I, I don't think most of us realize how important the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls really were. Down there at Qumran, in those caves, a little boy was riding along and throwing a rock in caves, and he heard a clink, and all he found was the Dead Sea Scrolls. He said, well, how do we know that what we have is original? We have a copy of the book of Isaiah, the complete book of Isaiah, and it ain't off an iota from what we have. God has preserved it for us. And he, when he lays out these genealogies, listen, he proves, he proves that Jesus is Messiah through Mary, but also is it the book of Luke that proves that he is the Messiah through Joseph. So, you know what? Double whammy there, y'all. The only necessary feature is that the lineage cannot be lost, not that the throne be occupied continually. That was the white Pentecost. Now, what are the prophetic implications? Number one, Israel must be preserved as a nation. Israel must be preserved as a nation. Number two, Israel must have a national existence and be brought back into the land. In 1881 to 1900, 30,000 returned. In 1904 to 1914, 32,000 more came. In 1924 to 1932, 78,000 more came. In 1933 to 1939, 230,000 came. In 1940 to 1948, 95,000 came. In 1948... The new state of Israel was born, and today there are 6.5 million Jews living in the nation of Israel. They're coming home, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm going to tell you something, and we're going to talk about it next week. That is probably one of the most glaring evidences that, that, that the end times are near. 
is the coming back of the Jews into their land. But I'm going to tell you one that I think is even more glaring than that, and that is the falling away. We're going to talk about that one next week, okay? So what are the signs of your coming? Ask Jesus a question. When's it going to happen, and what are the signs? Well, he didn't answer the first one, but he did answer the second one. And we'll look at some of those next week, okay? Uh, so, so number three, David's son Jesus must return to earth bodily and literally in order to reign over David's covenant kingdom. That's why in the book of Acts chapter 2, as the disciples were standing there seeing Jesus going to heaven, the angel said, this same Jesus will return. The same Jesus you've seen going into heaven, that same Jesus, okay? Not, not some spiritual epiphany of, of Jesus, but the Jesus that walked on this earth for 33 and a half years, that went out to the Mount of Olives, that was carried into heaven by a cloud, is coming back, and he's going to step down on this earth. And the Bible says that when he steps down on the Mount of Olives, it'll split in two like a South Georgia peanut hole. A literal earthly kingdom must exist over which the return Messiah will reign. It's got to happen. The kingdom must be an eternal kingdom. Okay? Now, I have time. The new covenant. The last, the last unilateral covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. God's promise to Israel contains three central elements. Number one, the forgiveness of sins. Number two, the indwelling spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36. And number three, a new heart. Now, here's the great news. All believers enjoy these promises now. We enjoy forgiveness of sins. We enjoy the indwelling spirit. We enjoy the benefit of having a new heart. Don't we? We already got it. And as a result of the new covenant in Christ's blood. Now, now here is a, here's a thought. Everybody sitting here, I want you to say to yourselves, I am a minister of this new covenant. Well, that'll change the way you live, won't it? We are ministers of this new covenant. That's why we're here. That's why God saved us. That's why God put us here. That's why God left us here, to be ministers of this new covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. But the specific promises in Jeremiah are to Israel and to the house of Judah. It will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Now listen to this. Even though the church participates in the blessing, it does not set aside God's clear promise to Israel. The tribulation, ladies and gentlemen, is not about the church at all. As a matter of fact, after chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, you never see the church mentioned again. But God's people are mentioned over and over again. You know what the purpose of the tribulation is? To bring God's people to repentance. Bring the Jews to repentance, to fulfill, to fulfill this, these covenants that God made in the very beginning with Abraham. The promises have never been fulfilled with Israel, but will be fulfilled when Israel, number one, is restored to their land. Number two, undergoes a national conversion. And number three, receives forgiveness and a new heart. Number four, experiences the Holy Spirit who produces righteousness and the full knowledge of God.
folks, but we've got that already. I mean, we've got, did you hear that? We have the potential of having, because we have the Spirit, the full knowledge of God. It's not so much what's going to happen to Israel. It's how are we handling the treasures that, we, that, that, that they're going to get that we've already got. How are you handling that treasure? Oh, says, hey, we, we, have this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels and clay pots, but, you know, we got it. I mean, we're cracked. We, we, we have issues. But the fact of the matter is God has placed in us this great treasure. What are you doing with it? How are you sharing it? I was reading, getting ready for my sermon for Sunday. And, and Jude calls the people he's writing to beloved in the Lord. And one writer put it this way. God so lavishly fills us with his love that it, that it, that it ought to be spilling out on those who are around us. That, that our job is to Take as much of it in as we can, and when we can't take any more, just, just give it away to somebody else. As you can see, these covenants determine the course of future events, okay? So we needed to start there. That's the place we had to start. It took me a whole lot less time to say that than it did for me to write that. I want you to know. Always does, doesn't it? 